Good morning. It is a beautiful morning, yes, and it's great to be with you folks again this morning. Uh, I want to begin by, like I did in, in our at nine hour, by thanking you. Um, this year, last, last week, we went out to Baltimore for a conference with our mission, ABWE, and, and celebrated 35 years of ministry with that, that group. Now... What I want to say, though, is that this church has been behind us, partnering with us for most of those years, over a third of a century, that you, we have been doing this thing together, okay? And we're just very, very grateful. And so praise God for many years of partnership together, and um, we're, just, we're just thankful for this opportunity, first in Portugal for almost 20 years there in Portugal, and then now globally through Horizon Education Network, uh, we have benefited from your prayers, your financial support, your love, your friendship down through these years. And it's just a joy to be with you again. And uh, we thank you for your dedication to global missions and to doing things all we can to get this word out about uh, this, this gospel that we've just done, we've just finished singing about. So Horizon is a unique ministry that, that, uh, that partners with, and we explained a little bit this in, of this in, we rehearsed this in, in our, at the At Nine Hour, but just again, uh, we partner with theological institutions around the globe to equip ministry leaders. So the goal being to equip this, this 85%, 80 to 95, depends on who you read, percent of pastors that are pastoring churches out there around the world that don't have access to theological education. So they, they need training. They're, people are coming to Christ. God is doing some incredible things around the world, okay? And maybe we don't see it in Battle Creek. Uh, maybe we don't see it right here, right now. But he is doing some incredible things. And I want to share some of those things with you today. But we are uh, one of the crying needs in missions today is training leaders. So we are seeking uh, to be strategic about how we can help more leaders get trained around the world. So God has opened wide doors for this ministry. Um, just this year, our team has trained faculty of seminaries in how to use online education in order to get more people trained. Uh, faculty uh, in Mongolia, we've, tra we've trained uh, three seminary faculty there faculty from three seminaries in Mongolia, in Ulaanbaatar. We, uh, we've been in Pakistan. We went, we've been in Liberia, Ghana, Togo. And online, we've been training groups from Colombia and Nigeria. And tomorrow, I start with another group from uh, with 46 faculty from a large seminary in Guatemala City. So these are the kinds of things that we do in a nutshell. And you are a part of that. And so we pass on this gratitude um, right now, we're working with 50, 49 uh, Bible colleges, seminaries uh, across the world in all, uh, in five of the, the uh, in all the continents except Antarctica, right? Uh, across nine languages. And this map gives you a, a glimpse of the breadth of our ministry. The, the red dots are just those partners, those seminaries that we began to work with this year alone. So we just want to say thank you. We just want to say thank you. And we can talk more uh, about the ministry a little bit later if you'd like. And some of you were in uh, the 9 o'clock hour. 
So um, got a little bit more history about, of that, but it's just been good. And we thank you for your prayers. Sometimes you pray and you don't know what to pray for. We gave a list at the uh, at nine hour, and you can consult that list. But uh, read our prayer letters. Uh, seek to lift up those things. But if you don't have anything to pray about specific, just pray that God would work through this ministry in ways that will reach more people for Christ. I mean, if, you, if it's just as that simple, that's a great prayer, isn't it? So um, let me just uh, talk to you about a little bit of what's, what's, what's going on. This, the title of today's sermon, um, if you saw it, is, is Missions from Everywhere to Everywhere. And let me start off with just a few stories here. In April, we were invited to conduct faculty training at one of our partner institutions, a, a seminary in a, little vi in a village uh, just outside the capital of Ghana, West Africa, on the West African coast. And one afternoon, our guide took us around and, and showed us the village. It was Saturday, and we weren't starting until Monday, so we had a little time. And he took us to a cemetery where some of the uh, early missionaries to that village were buried. Okay? And then he took us to this, on, down this street where there, there was this house. And on one of the houses, there was, uh, on this house, there was this plaque. And I want you to notice here, Reverend uh, John Hall, okay, 1843. And he was a missionary to Ghana from Jamaica, of all places. He was one of the first missionaries to evangelize the people of Ghana. Next slide. In October, we were teaching uh, a couple of modules on site in Angola, a Portuguese-speaking country in West Africa. And two of our students, uh, were they were a couple, a man and wife, both medical doctors, ministering, uh, having a fruitful spiritual and physical ministry inside in the interior of Angola. And they were missionaries from, of all places, Cuba. Cuba. They had petitioned their government for 15 years to be able to leave Cuba and go to Angola. And by the way, God is doing some incredible things in the church. Uh, the church is just blossoming in, in Cuba. I mean, he's doing wild things, okay? Uh, so, in, next slide. Mongolia. In January, two of my colleagues were, were, went to train the faculty of three Bible colleges in Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia, as I said. They discovered the church in Angola is only about 25 years old, okay? The present church is only about 25 years old, and it was started by missionaries from South Korea who went over there and evangelized Mongolians. Next slide. A friend of mine, Dr. Bernard Ayula, works with African immigrants to the West Michigan area. His offices are just down the hall from Horizon's offices. Did you know that East Kentwood High School up there in, in Grand Rapids is the, is the most ethically, ethnically diverse high school in the state and the seventh most, most ethnically diverse high school in the country? Uh, they're coming to Grand Rapids. And, and Bernard tells me that there are over 50 African congregations in Kent County alone. Now, these are not Afro-American congregations. These are African immigrant congregations led by African immigrants. 
Over 50, one, one has more than 700 people. And I point these things out today to, to, to make this point that missions today is from everywhere to everywhere. Uh, this is happening partly because there has been a major shift in Christianity. Nearly 15 years ago now, in his book, uh, uh, the, the New Shape of World Christianity, Mark Noel wrote these words. He said, this past Sunday... It's possible, and this was 15 years ago, this past Sunday it was possible, it's possible that more Christian believers attended church in China than in all of so-called Christian Europe. Yet in 1970, there were no legally functioning churches in all of China, and only in 1971 did the Chinese government allow for one Protestant church and one Catholic church. But now, some people estimate there might be over 100 million Christians in China. That number is, has been far surpassed in our day today. Noel continues, This past Sunday, more Anglicans attended, the churches and attended church in each of the countries of Kenya, South Africa, Tanzania, Tanzania, and Uganda than Anglicans attended church in Britain, where the, church, the Anglican church was from, Canada, or all of the Episcopalian or Anglican churches in the United States combined. And Nigeria has four times as many Anglicans as those, all of those countries combined. Now, if, if you know anything about the Anglo Anglican church in, in Africa, most of them are quite evangelical. Okay? My, most of them are quite uh, gospel-preaching churches. Now, in, he adds that there were more Presbyterians worshiping in Ghana than in Scotland, where Presbyterians, Presbyterianism has its roots, and that there were more members attending Pentecostal Assemblies of God churches in Brazil than those attending churches of the two largest Pentecostal denominations in the United States. And perhaps most representative of this great transition, Noel writes, is this past week in Great Britain, at least 15,000 Christian foreign missionaries were hard at work evangelizing the British locals. And most of those missionaries came from Africa and Asia. One person from Fiji put it like this. Your Jerusalem is my ends of the earth. Right? Missions today, what I want you to see from this is missions today is no longer from the West, Europe, North America, to the rest, but it's from everywhere to everywhere. This is true today, and you know what? I don't think it's Actually, I th let me say it like this. I think it's been that way from early on. Let's think about this. Shifting centers of Christianity. Where, if I were to ask you today, where is, where is the geographical center of Christianity today? Where is the geographical center of Christianity today? I mean, maybe you'd say Jerusalem. Or maybe you'd say Rome, if you're a Catholic. Maybe you'd say uh, the, the Mecca of Grand Rapids or Western Michigan or Dallas or, or, or something like that. What is, what, the reality is that the center of God's work has shifted. Where God is really working has shifted around through the scriptures. So we think about the Old Testament. And I'm just a, 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 clear, a quick survey here. God's work with, the people, uh, with his people were moved from Eden to Ararat, Noah, to Chaldea with Terah, to Canaan with Abraham, 
And then there were those 400 years of, of slavery in Egypt when they were not in the land, while God's people waited and multiplied, and then Moses appeared and they exited. They re-entered the promised land, and eventually Jerusalem became the center of God's work with his people. That's where the temple was. That's where, it, that, that's where the, the worship took place. Uh, that's where people were supposed to go. Uh, it was the symbol of God's, the temple was the symbol of, of God's presence on the earth. But way late in their history, right? I mean, you think about all the history of Israel, the, the, the Hebrew and Israel, God's work with his people way up until Solomon's time when he finally built the temple. There's a lot of time there. So, Jerusalem, so it had shifted. Now, Jerusalem was where they had to come then and, and make their sacrifices. It was the center of God's work with his people. It was quickly assumed then that this religion was a centripetal religion, a unidirectional, one-way deal where everyone had to gather in Jerusalem to really be uh, followers of Yahweh, of God. So, and yet, even in his dedicatory prayer of, of the temple, Solomon recognized that God was bigger than Jerusalem. God was bigger than this temple. He says, but will God indeed dwell on earth? He's larger than earth. Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, O God. How much less this temple, this house that I have built. So there was a recognition that, yes, this is the center right now, but, but God is much bigger than that, right? So after this, there were movements in history when God's people were scattered to, to, to Egypt again, to Babylon, um, or in the case of the Norman, northern tribes, uh, dispersed among the nations. Yet God's people quickly fell into the assumption that in order to follow Yahweh, you needed to go to Jerusalem. Now, there was some truth to that. And there was some benefit to that. But that was not God's original plan, I would argue, from Genesis 1.28, when he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, God had the world in mind, right? From the beginning. God's original plan, command was to mankind was a missional, a global mandate. So mankind was to carry the glory and the worship of the one true God to the ends of the earth. So although God pushed his people in many directions throughout the Old Testament, God's people were always trying to get back what they, to what they perceived as the center, Jerusalem. And this made some sense, right? But however, uh, it, it, it's, it's likewise clear that from the beginning, God had a bigger picture in mind. So fast forward to the New Testament. When Jesus came, Jerusalem had long since been that center stage for Christianity. Or at that point, it wasn't Christianity, right? It was the, the, for for worshiping the one true and living God. Now, missions had been understood by the majority as centripetal. Everybody had to come in. If you wanted to follow Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, you needed to come to that town. That was the center. And then we get to Acts 2. And I know I preached about this last time I was here, so I'm going to repeat a couple things. But it fits in here, and I want to expand on it a little bit. Let's read Acts 2. Uh, verses 1 to 11. Acts 2, verses 1 to 11. And I'll be reading out the ESV version. Acts 2 starts like this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they, the followers of Jesus, were all gathered in one place. 
And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. From every nation under heaven. And at this sound... The multitude came together. People started gathering and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own mother tongue. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Galilee wasn't really known for its high quality education. Come on. So, and so now, and, and how is it that we hear each of us in its own native, in his own native tongue? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So again, we can see from this map, uh, you can go over here to the far right, you can see Parthenians, Parthia right there in the middle of the purple. We have people from Media a little bit to the left. We have Elamites. Um, go back one more slide, please. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Elamites are on that next slide. Yeah. So Edomite, thank you. Elamites are over to the right on, by the Persian Gulf. We have uh, the, the whole area, the Mesopotamian region, we have people from Judea there in Jerusalem, of course. And we have people up in Asia Minor from Pontius, Phrygia, Pamphylia, uh, Cappadocia, and uh, Asia Minor over here. We have people from um, Crete. We have people from Cyrene down in Africa. We have people from uh, Egypt and Arabia, all these people, and even some people from way over in Rome. So the known world at that time um, are all gathered in Jerusalem. And after Acts 2, do you think they all stayed in Jerusalem? I mean, they were gathered there for the festival. And they heard the gospel. And they committed their lives to Christ. And many lives were transformed. And what did they do? Did they stay there? No. Many of them went back to their nations, back to their home countries, right? And what did they do there? They began to share Jesus with people. Well, because of this missionary act, this early missionary activity, within a few decades, the geographical center of Christianity shifted. First it shifted, uh, biblically we can see it shifted up to Antioch, where Antioch became the center, and that's where people were first called Christians, right? So now I can use the word Christian. So then um, the Christ followers, and, and they began to send out people like Paul and Barnabas to different places around the world. And then we see uh, Ephesus as a center. Later we see Rome as a center. We see Alexandria down in Egypt and other places. Constantinople eventually became in the third, in fourth century, uh, which modern day Istanbul became a center of Christianity. And then it shifted up into, into Europe and England. And we have uh, 
during the Reformation, we have that as a center of Christianity in the West anyway. And meanwhile, we don't even know the history. I don't even know all the history of what's going on in parts of Africa and parts of Asia, right? Uh, so this, there's this shift. And then our history in the West is that this center of Christianity, as Western Europe began to be, become more secularized, shifted to America. And we have been, North America has been the, a center in recent decades, recent centuries, a center for Christianity. So there's, there's a shifting, right? But over the past couple of decades, over the past couple of decades, there's been an obvious shift to the global south and the global east. In 2020, the International Bulletin of Missions Research stated that fully two-thirds of all Christians are now in the global south. And by 2050, we anticipate that 77% of all Christians will live in the global south. That is, south of the, the southern parts of the world, Latin America, Africa, parts of Asia. Okay? And it's already happening. Um, this is not new news in the missions world. Um, in fact, they were, they were hesitant about talking about this because it's so commonly known in the missions world that, that Christianity has shifted from North America and Europe down and to the east. But, uh, but they wanted to point it out because many Christians are still unclear about the implications of this shift. Uh, this article writes, uh, this author writes, it says, especially concerning how it relates to theological education and the training of Christian leaders around the world. Most of the, uh, the theological resources and the theological education has still centered in the North, England and North America. But what we are finding is that there, not only there's a, is there a huge need in the global South and the global East, but also uh, we're seeing some great things happen in terms of theological education in those regions. So we should rejoice. Now, let me, let me show you one more slide. Um, we should rejoice that the United States is still the number one missionary sending nation in the world. Okay, we still send far more missionaries than anybody else in the world. Praise God. Let's keep doing it, okay? Let's keep sending missionaries out there. But some of these other, um, if you look closely at some of these graphics, other countries like Brazil, the Philippines, South Korea, China, Nigeria are quickly coming up, quickly catching up to us, you know? And we're seeing missionaries go from everywhere to everywhere. Uh, just, just another slide that talks about the, 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 the top five sending nations, okay? We're still on the top. But notice this. What is the number one receiving nation for missionaries in the world? It is. You are right. We are the number one receiving. We receive more missionaries than any other country as well. Why? That's, well, yeah. And you know what? These Nigerians are looking at us saying, wow, they really need the gospel over there. I've seen their films. I've seen this. You know, I've heard, you know. And they, okay. So, so they're sending missionaries to us. And it's, it's amazing what God is doing today. 
God is moving in multi-directional ways, sending missionaries not only from the west to the rest, but now from everywhere to everywhere, even back to here. Praise God, we need some help in America, don't we? So what I'd like to see us to see this morning is that this present shift is not lost on our universally sovereign God. We could do a more thorough study of the movement of God's work throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, but let me just highlight one text tucked away in the minor prophets that should greatly boost our confidence. And turn with me to the book of Habakkuk. The book of Habakkuk, okay? Tucked away there toward the end of your uh, Old Testament, okay? Habakkuk. And we find in these three chapters um, some amazing statements, an amazing struggle, a struggle that we struggle with today. And I don't know, have any, has anybody seen the news lately? Or, you know, I mean, you get kind of depressed here in America sometimes, frankly. You think, man, what is going on? Where is God? When's he going to show up? You know, what's, what's going on around here? And, and we can get so discouraged and when we look at our own country, our own context, and, and we get down and we get depressed, you know, and we think, what, we wonder if God's even going to, if he's still doing anything in our midst. Well, Habakkuk was there. Habakkuk was there, scratching his head and look, looking around saying, God, look at your world. What are you doing and where are you? So he begins in chapter 1, verse 1, verse 2. Uh, well, chapter 1 says, the, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. And these are the words of Habakkuk. He's, he cries out, this disoriented cry to God. He says, oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And will you not hear or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you look idly at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. They're all around me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. The wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. If we have any justice at all, it's perverted. Does that sound familiar? Well, the Lord said, in verse 5, he answers. He said, look around. Look among the nations. And see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe even if I told you. I, I hope this morning that we can lift our eyes just a little bit up, okay? And around, out, and see. This has been my prayer for you this morning, that, that you might be able to see beyond our immediate culture, beyond our immediate context, and say, okay, we still serve a living, true, powerful God. Okay? And he's doing great things. So let's be encouraged. So he proceeds to tell them how he will use the, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, to render justice against the Assyrians. The Assyrians had been picking on them, and now God's going to go whip the Assyrians. But he's going to use the Babylonians and, and the Chaldeans. And, and, and uh, uh, Habakkuk is confused. So he questions the Lord again. He says in verse 12 of chapter 1, 
Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? You shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment. Now hold on, let me get this right. You, you, you have established them for reproof? You're going to use those people to do that, to do your will? You who are purer of eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? So, so the prophet is confused here. You're, you're going to, okay, we, we don't like the Assyrians, but you're going to use the Chaldeans to, this doesn't, we don't like them either, you know? In fact, later they're going to take them over. And by the way, this, this, this was written probably right before Assyria came in and, uh, and took over the northern tribes. So they've been picking on them, picking on them, even picking on the southern, southern tribes, and, and Habakkuk's down in, in, the, in Judea and in Jerusalem. But so he's, he's seeing there's, there's just threats coming on all the time. And, and God's, God's bringing this out. So, um, so the Lord assures Habakkuk with a series of pronouncements then against the unjust in verse 2, in chapter 2. It says, uh, you know, I said, I'm, I'm going to correct something I just said. It was, this was not before the Assyrians came down. The Assyrians had already scattered the northern tribes. This was, this was happening um, just before the Babylonians were going to come over and, and take over the southern. But, so right at the, right about between 640 and 615 A.D. Uh, is when, I'm sorry, B.C. is when this, this, this takes place, this prophecy, prophecy takes place. So there's this concern. Right? How are you doing this? And, and why are you doing it? Why are you using these means? So in chapter 2, uh, the Lord assures Habakkuk with a series of pronouncements against the unjust. He says in verse 6, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. Verse 9 of chapter 2, Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house. Verse, verse 12, Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity and so forth. The series of woes. But there's a verse right tucked in the middle of these negative judgment, judgments, and this is the one I want to highlight. In verse 14, he says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the, the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea. That's a true statement that we can hang on to. That's a true statement. And we need to rejoice over that. In the middle of this, this confusing mess where God is using one nation against another just to, to render his will and we don't understand it all, let's remember that God will, his glory will cover the earth. The, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. When we say, when we talk about, we need to glorify God, what do we mean when we say, we need to glorify God when we do that? What we mean is we mean that through that action, others that are witnessing that need to see the glory of God. They need to understand, they need to have the knowledge of the glory of God, okay? By the way we do things, by the way we fix their car, by the way we pump their gas, by the way we serve their burger, by the way we be a neighbor, Okay, we glorify God. We show people this is what God looks like and so they can understand his amazing glory. 
So that's what is going to happen. And everyone, the earth, will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters covers the sea. So Habakkuk then, in response in chapter 3, prays with a different attitude. He says, O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, uh, in, the, in the midst of my years, revive it. In the midst of my years, make it known. In my time, make your, your glory known. But in wrath, remember mercy. God, do this in our day. Let the knowledge of your glory be filled, uh, fill the earth. Uh, and and let, let, the, let, the wor- let the entire world understand who you are. That's, what we, that's our prayer, right? That's, that's the prayer of global missions. But in your wrath, because we know that when the glory of the, God, uh, the, glory of the Lord comes, this is going to mean, ju- mean judgment, okay? There's going to be a division. And there's going to be those who follow Christ, and they're going to be rejoicing, and there's going to be those who, are, who do not and, who, and, and rebel against Christ, and they're going to be under his judgment, and that's going to be a, a horrendous day for them, Okay? And there's going to be this division. So we cry out in our day, as you come with your glory, as you show your glory to people, we know that that involves judgment. But have mercy, oh God, have mercy. Because I've got some friends that don't get it yet, right? So have mercy on them. There's some people and there's some pockets in the world around them. They haven't heard the gospel. So have mercy, oh God. In your wrath, remember mercy. But do this in our day. This should be our cry. This is the cry of global missions. Make your name renowned, O God. May the people of our nation and all nations recognize who you are and may they bow the knee and worship you as the one true living creator, sustainer God who reigns on high and will return to reign on earth. Make your glory known. The prophet continues. He says in in verse 2, I want to read it again of chapter 3. He says, O Lord, I've heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. And your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, in, in, the, in my time, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. The prophet's beginning to get it. Uh-huh. And he's he says, okay, his, his brightness, your brightness is like a light, like ray, rays flashed from your hands. And they, there he veiled his power. You demonstrated your power, but it was still veiled. There's more behind it. Before him, verse 5, went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. And then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low, and the, his were everlasting waves. The, the prophet goes on to explain, to, his, to, to just pray and, and, and explain to himself, really, the, the power of God. And when we get down here to, to verse 14, he says, You pierced with his own arrows the heads of warriors, you who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing it as if to devour the poor in secret. You, you trampled the sea with your knees, with your horses, uh, the, and the surging of mighty waters. A lot of imagery here, but look at verse 15. He says, I hear, I hear of your power, and my body trembles. 
My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet, I'll wait quietly for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. I'll wait for your will to be done. I'll trust you. I'll understand that I'll, I'll seek to understand that you are all-powerful and you are rendering your judgment, you are rendering your judgment in your time, and you will make things right in your time. So I wait. And then he ends, he says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the, prod the pr produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no fruit, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. No matter what happens, O oh God, even if I don't see it around me, even if I don't see it in my day, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. And that's where the prophet ends. Right? So, as we look around our world, we get confused sometimes. That, that which we can see, okay? And we, 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 we wonder what God's doing. We wonder where he is. And we wonder if he's actually going to do what he's promised. And yet, as we lift our eyes and look around, we see these promises, or as Malachi put it, for the for from the rising of the sun to the setting, my name will be great among the nations. These are prophecies that are going to be fulfilled, okay? That are being fulfilled in our day. In every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. So are we going to be a part of it? Are we going to be a part of it, right? Or are we going to sit back and just get worried, right? Just fret about what we do or don't see happening, right? Are we going to lift our eyes and see the world and see that God is bigger than, than perhaps we thought? And he's doing some things in our day that maybe we didn't know about or maybe we uh, are just, just finding out, you know? And, and let us be encouraged about these, with these things. Uh, I want to I end with a quote a little story that comes out of uh, C.S. Lewis, Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe. And Mr. Beaver, remember Mr. Beaver? Mr. Beaver mentions the name, just in passing, of Aslan. Aslan representing, in the story, Christ. Aslan's been absent for a long time. But Mr. Beaver says this, simply says, they say Aslan is on the move. Perhaps he's already landed. Lewis continues, And now a curious thing happened. None of the children knew who Aslan was any more than you. But the moment Beaver had spoken these words, everyone felt quite different. At the name of Aslan, each one of the children felt something jump in its inside. Edmund felt a sense of mysterious horror. Peter felt suddenly brave and adventurous. Susan felt as if some delicious smell or some delightful strain of music had just floated by. Lucy got the feeling you have when you wake up in the morning and realize it's the beginning of the holidays or of summer. 
Be encouraged, my friend. Jesus is on the move. King Jesus is on the move. Okay? Let's be encouraged.